0: Degree, the third
1: degree Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. I think this is number 38? 86. Oh, 86, sorry. <laughs> Hold on, let me, let me do that over. 38,
2: dude. I don't know. Where have you been? Oh. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nell Podcast.
0: The green the degree, the degree never cast, dead the green, the green never guess Third Green, the Day de Green ever cast.
1: Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another fun-filled edition of Third Degree, the podcast number 86, I'm reminded. Hi, how are you? My name is Peter, and with me today are my two good friends that love to talk all things Football Club Dallas. It's first, our lovely Brit, somebody who parks really far away from his home, Dan Crook. It took me three minutes. What's wrong with you? It took you way longer than three minutes from when you told us you were parking and coming in. It was like ten minutes later. Well, we were I worried to, about you.
0: I had to get a microphone and my my headphones and get everything together. You know, that takes time. Perfection is an instant.
1: All right. Well, you know.
0: Someone could probably say who does perfection. We obviously don't.
1: All right. Well, I hope you're doing well, Dan. I hadn't spoken to you in a week. Uh, it's been a crisis. Absolutely great. All right. Kick ass. And of course, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of thirddegree.net, the good now 50
2: plus years old Buzz Carrick. Hello, mm-hmm. Buzz. Hey, Peter. How are you today? I actually have a little story for you guys to start the podcast. It's short. <sighs> hold on. Short. Hold on.
1: I got to sit down in a circle in oh, Indian no.
2: style. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's not an FC Dallas related story, but my wife's birthday was last night, and we went out to dinner. And she got the enjoyment of her first ever experience of the ammunition being sold out of the back of the pickup truck in the restaurant parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you take her? Golden Corral? Oh, no, it's just a steakhouse. But you know how it is in Texas, where every once in a while, you'll see some dude in a Big old fancy Mercedes buying ammo from some dude in a pickup truck in the parking lot of the restaurant. It happens. It's Texas. Well, there is
1: there is an ammo, ammo shortage, uh, so that doesn't surprise me. Hey, by the way, your wife turned eighteen this year, right? Yeah, I'm not gonna say old.
2: She's nineteen. <laughs>
1: She's nineteen. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you how old she is on the podcast. Oh my god.
1: Ah, uh, no, that was really just more of a rob- uh, cradle robber joke. But anyway, yeah. all right. Well, here we are upon. The uh, threshold of another MLS playoff season, we all know how this goes,
2: uh, don't we, buzz? Yeah, unfortunately uh, as the you tweeted out that awesome rendition I, can, I don't know who made it of the uh, year after year playoff failures by FC Dallas it's uh, it's par for the course around here.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's somebody over on big soccer that goes by 24 uh, seven burning or something like that and and he had written out a year by year chronological order, synopsis of each playoff results. And uh, he wrote it in a very colorful style. It's a little R-rated. Uh, <laughs> but, man, oh, man, it it hits home. But you know what? This is our year, right? Things change this year, Buzz. Come on. Let's be positive.
2: Well, there's always a chance. Maybe this is the year. Maybe Lucy's going to get it done. You know, had to win it all on the road. That I don't know if this ever happened, but maybe it'll be the first time. They did win the Open Cup all on the road. They were the first team to do that, so... Wait,
1: I, I thought if they if if they win this game and somebody else wins their game, wouldn't they? Isn't there a chance, like a sliver of a chance, they host a, a playoff yeah. game?
2: Peter, if uh, LAFC wins, then they're a lower seed than Dallas, so uh, Dallas would do a play, have a home game against LAFC. So that's basically the only way.
1: and I would love to go to one more sparsely attended, feel like it's my very own home game uh, before this year is out. That'd be kick ass.
2: That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm not so sure that, given that we're starting this uh, thing up again in, well, what is it, uh, early March? I think that we're doing it, so uh, we we might still be sparsely populated by then.
1: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, maybe we'll get another opportunity next year.
2: Yeah, and and the uh, probably
1: on the downside of all of this is when we when we were talking about this game in the previous podcast. We were all working under the perception that Portland was going into this game a little underhanded because of international call-ups and quarantine times for COVID. And since then, it kind of sounds like things have turned the favor of the Timbers.
2: Well, I think Dan has more concrete information about that than I do. But um, they, they, it's when you have a 10-game gap, 10, excuse me, 10-day gap, people get healthy. And there's been some developments on the front with international players coming back where you can pay um, to charter them back from international games. Like, I know, for example, that Dallas could have done that with Philippe and have chosen not to, which is not surprising with a backup goalkeeper. Um, but I think Dan probably has more concrete info on that.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, they, you know, the league's given them the option. Uh, really, they realized that LAFC would be without four players and went, oh, God, we need to fix this. Our precious playoffs. Yeah. Um, you know the talk in, the talk from the, the Portland side is that Andy Polo and uh, Felipe Mora won't be back. But you know why would you give the opposition the information? Uh, even if they were, um, you know, FC Dallas have been burned by it before. Uh, for the Rail Salt Lake game, they prepped for having no uh, for not playing against Albert Rusnak. Um, RSL had said, you know, he's not going to be available because of the quarantine period and then they chartered him back and the league interestingly cut the quarantine period by a day and uh he he was able to make the game by like three hours or something stupid Uh, so
1: just to clarify so what you're saying is is that portland continues to say those two players are not going to be here but there is a mechanism in place that in fact they could show up uh because of a charter flight did i understand that correct yeah yeah completely hmm. there's,
0: there's a few things like uh there's there's a few like variables that we, we don't know like uh buzzard talked about Felipe well you know Felipe even if they did charter him back, he would probably have to quarantine because uh the, his brazil under twenty three team had a a small outbreak, so there's a couple of players around the league where there's been outbreaks and stuff in the national teams, and they definitely have to uh to do that quarantine still.
1: Hmm. Okay. And then I saw, I think, LAFC uh, Brian Rodriguez. I think he just actually ended up testing positive on his way back from Uruguay. I think I just saw that before we started recording.
2: Yeah, those guys have to quarantine uh, in the country they're in. They can't even come back if they got exposed and had direct exposure or if they got it themselves. All right, so if
1: I'm remembering correctly, when we talked about this last week, Portland was on, like, what, six, seven, eight guys they thought they were potentially missing for this it game? Was eight. Do we, yeah. It yeah. was it? yeah. So do we have a handle? And assuming those two guys, you know, uh, let's assume uh, that SA is bluffing and, and those two guys are coming. W- what do we really feel like the number is now for Sunday's game? Uh, well, the
0: number they're working with is, like, is it, just – at the minute is those two and then the two that were out all the season uh which was let me butcher his name uh it was Yaroslav Niasgoda, um who is like you know their dp striker who's been who's, I think he's actually still their top scorer um and Sebastian Blanco they both got acl tears uh Jeremy Ibo- Ibo- ibobasi yes. uh was uh he was out with a concussion. It looks like he's back now. He missed five games. Uh so if Mora's out, he's gonna be their striker. If not, he'll be playing on the right wing, opposite uh Yimichara. But yeah, they uh I I'm not sure like who they were supposed to have out last week, but yeah, right now it's it's just really the two long term injuries and, and potentially the two uh the two internationals.
2: Well, Julio Cassante had it was a, a week and a half ago was out with an ankle problem, but he apparently is recovered. And then Darian Espria had the knee surgery back in May, and but he must be back because he's not apparently listed anymore. And then Blake Bot- Bodily, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is uh, was also questionable, but now I guess is recovered too. So they have almost everybody back but those two guys, and then of course the internationals.
1: Well, when we also talked last week, uh, Buzz, you, you had made the case that you were a little bit concerned about Lucci overthinking this and doing something a little wonky in terms of lineups or, or personnel, uh, a.k.a. the Oscar Perea syndrome. Yeah. Uh, do you have any different feelings about that now? Are you getting any sense that uh, you have an idea of what the lineup's going to be for Sunday?
2: I do have a different sense, and my different sense is not that I am now even more convinced that that's true. That's, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the change. Is that I'm now 100 percent convinced that oh, um, no. Lucci's gonna Lucci, and that um,
1: so is essentially he's, he's going to start North Texas Soccer Club in the game. Is what well, it it's, not gonna be, it's not going to be
2: it's not going to be that bad. But um, I would at this point, and nothing's written in stone, of course, because Lucci does change late uh, compared to other coaches. But given that they've had two weeks to work on stuff, you know that means we've had two weeks of chatter coming through the grapevine of what they've been doing. So I am now completely convinced, and or no, of course nothing's for sure, but I'm completely convinced that Ryan Hollingshead will indeed be your left wing uh, and that Johnny Nelson will be left back. And the reason that is, if I can just try and put myself in Lucci's shoes, is um, it's arguable that their best road performance of the year, and I think it's pretty much true, was that Nashville game. You know, And so the idea is to have that mentality, and so I'm going to predict what I would call a mid-block, which is not going to be the high press because it's hard to high press with Hara anyway. And if you have Ryan up there, Ryan's not really a presser. So you're looking at more of a mid-block sort of situation like they did against the with a really good performance at Nashville. So that's my Lucci tinkering that I think is going to happen.
1: But that doesn't mean he's shifting to like a three-man back line and no. and, and playing... Ryan is a winger.
2: No, no, it'll be the same. Um, 4-2-3-1 we've seen of late, which I'm pretty sure will mean um, Ricarte is that deep-lying 8. They're going to keep that. That works really well. And that means Jesus will be your um, high 10, you know, more of the Ostrakker style that we like him to do um, with Ryan as the left and and Barrios on the right, of course, and Hara. Um, And then Brisson will be the other person that will continue at at center back. Um, As I said before, like once you... Had this problem with Reto that got Brisson that job. Brisson has consistently performed up until the last game when everybody stunk. So that's a throw out the window. So Brisson will keep that spot, and then Jimmy's back, of course, so he'll be in. Um, thankfully, I think I, I'm I'm very convinced that Brian Acosta will not be uh, healthy enough that Lucci will think he can start him. So you'll you'll end up with the same shape, and Acosta and Pico will come off the bench, and and um, just sort of as you've seen lately. Uh, more than likely on the road, if they're in it, like it's a tie late, or even if they're up a goal late, then you'll see that uh, three-man back line, whatever, really five, five, four, one, low block, kill the game thing that they've been doing lately on the road.
1: Uh, So real quick, uh, Brian Acosta, do do we ever find out definitively what his injury was?
2: It's the same hamstring problem. Uh, okay. He just sort of reaggravated it. Lucci said it in a press conference. They don't list it in um, the media thing, but Lucci mentioned it in what conference call? Was it two weeks ago, Dan? I think he mentioned that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. So, uh, Dan, how, how do you feel like that lineup that Buzz is talking about for for Lucci pairs against what you perceive will be the starting lineup for Portland?
0: Um, I think that kind of actually plays positively for Dallas in a way. Uh you know, Portland have that four, two, three, one and as always, as uh as the Maestro performs, so does Portland. Um, so, you know, looking more defensive in, in your back in your back fours always gonna be a good thing to shut down uh Valeri and, and try and limit options on the wings. Uh you know, uh Yimichar has been been their big thing on the left wing and well right wings up in the air so um the big thing the big thing is like, it wasn't just uh, i know we saw colorado um go and win one nil there a few weeks ago uh but portland just haven't been the same team at home as they often are uh, you know they've lost to minnesota they've drawn with cincinnati and rail salt lake
1: they've did, actually been a better Blom- away team than home when did Blanco blow out his knee? Uh, about halfway through the season. So I was wondering if if, if their form or any of, you know, the, oh, no, whatever sorry. you're talking about is he related blew to his knee specifically. his knee out
0: just going. after MLS is back.
1: Oh, was it? It was that long ago? I couldn't remember how long ago it had been. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, but he
0: was, on the, he was on the league MVP season up until that happened.
1: Well, then they went on kind of a good little streak. They won five in a row uh, from the middle of September to the middle of October. Uh, And then where they, uh, in in a row, beat San Jose. uh, They beat Seattle, beat Vancouver, beat the Galaxy, and then beat San Jose again. Again, not a murderer's row, obviously. But then they lost to Salt Lake, LAFC, and then drew LAFC and Seattle uh, before finishing the season 2-1-1.
0: the funny thing is, what preceded that uh, that five game winning streak was a four game homestand where they only won one of them. They uh, they just maybe it's just uh, Providence Park's lost its luster without fans, uh, which is something that Jimmy Mara said uh, in the week. But I don't know. Um, I mean, the big thing for Dallas is going to be is this going to be like FC Dallas, the FC Dallas the went to Seattle last year or the FC Dallas that went to minnesota i mean uh I was looking at uh actually uh figure out we we'll, i'm sure we'll cover like the the key to it at some point
1: do you have do you have one particular matchup in the game that you're looking forward to Dan in terms of what you think would be the the you know really important in terms of a a person on person matchup
0: uh probably valerian thiago santos uh should okay. be You know, uh, uh, Santos is obviously the the shutdown guy, and the key to everything is is shutdown Valeri. Uh, So, you know, that's going to be the big matchup, I think, that we'll need to see.
1: And here in the uh, run sheet, Buzz, that you provided us, it says here in big letters, ask me about... The key to the game. <laughs> it does not say that. It's like in big quotation marks, and there's some arrows drawn and some stars around it. So, how did you
0: highlight it in in black and white text? That's weird.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. Well, he actually he actually hand wrote all of it and then scanned it and then took a picture of it with his phone and then emailed it to me uh, using a um, uh, a Facebook link.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's in the uh, group chat. That one. <laughs> Well, the answer to that question is uh, Jesus Ferreira. That's the key because. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. I know. But that's the key, right? (laughs) Think about how much better over the last, I don't know, it was at four games or so, where Jesus all of a sudden was making those penetrating runs into the box and getting in there as a second striker, you know, underneath Hara or off Hara, however you want to call it. And that creates a one on one matchup for Hara, it creates a one on one matchup with Jesus. Now there's activity in the box. Now there's people happening in the box. Now it's not the same level as hard. It's slightly withdrawn so that there's a drop-off there for somebody to finish from inside the box but not all the way on the super deep line. So that's the key. like, Because that action, uh, even if Jesus can only do it for 60 minutes or so, that action makes the FC Dallas clearly better. It makes them more efficient shooters. It makes the, the goal opportunities better. And so if you can do that, if he can do that, then you have a chance to get through maybe 60, 70 minutes and be even or even get a goal and try and take a lead. And then you can, when he'll run out of gas at that same mark as he always does, and then you can bring him off and you can bring on Acasa or you can bring on Tessman, you know, or you can you bring off a Pico and then high press, you know, for and move Ryan back perhaps or, or go to your 4 5 1. You know, you can then mix things up and try and kill the game. So that's clearly the strategy. And, and the entire strategy is totally reliant on Jesus having a good game like he did over the last three or four again, not including the Minnesota game where everybody crapped the bed.
1: Yeah. And and am I being a jerk for saying that, uh, Jesus having a good game is somewhat relative.
2: Yeah. Well, of course, I mean, he's not had a great year. I just mean relative to the season. You know, he has to play, like he did over the last stretch and not like he did over the first two thirds of the season. If he plays like he did over the first two thirds of the season, he'll get yanked at halftime and Dallas will be down a couple of goals probably already by that point. You know, he's got to perform and he's, he's the key thing. He's the guy that's variable. Everybody else is pretty consistent. He's the guy that's up and down. So if he comes and plays this top game, then I think Dallas has got a chance.
1: You know, I, it's funny that you say that Jesus is the key to the game because I've been thinking a lot about Jesus this week with uh, the U.S. men's national team playing and everybody getting super excited about this new generation of players and the games against Panama and Wales and all of that stuff. And and what I've been reading online a lot is, um, you know, many of these new and young up-and-coming Uh, national team pundits, whether they be online or whatever form of media you choose, a lot of them keep referring to Jesus Ferreira's performance with the national team last year when he went to the camp and um, him playing this number 9 position and how well he played it. And I even saw a guy throw out some clips of his games and Jesus looking really good. And I just keep thinking to myself, what happened to that Jesus? And assuming the fact that because I don't remember this I don't remember this performance that everybody's lauding for the national team. And I don't know. And maybe I missed it or I'm, you know, I'm getting old. I forget things. Um, and it, let's just assume that's correct. What happened to that? Jesus, where, how have we gotten to this point?
2: Well, you remember last year he started off as the wing, but then at one point took over as the nine and it had a pretty decent season and, and led Dallas in scoring, you know, and he carried that form into the national team and what I remember specifically was I remember that um, Bearhalter commenting. I think it was uh, Bearhalter commenting that Jesus had had a really good camp and that he was going to get a chance to play. Um, and, and I think a lot of people are feeding off of that. Bearhalter saying that, you know, and when you combine that with uh, him having led the team in scoring, people are like, "Oh, he's a great player." People say that without having watched. Well, then you come into this year and at the back end of last season. Cobra started performing and took over the nine job. And you remember Paxton got hurt. And so they dropped Jesus back to the 10. And then he didn't do very little scoring after that. And that carried over into this season with Paxton hurt. Jesus has been an attacking midfielder the whole season. So what happened to that guy is that he played a different position and he played some wing and he played some false wing and he played some nine and he's just been bouncing all over the place. And it's hard to get any consistent form and we and I like to talk a lot about competition. If you're not competing week to week in training, if you're just walking into the lineup, then there's no opportunity, um, no pressure on you, and you're just coasting along, and so you don't progress. And then the last thing, of course, is that we know he had COVID, so you know it's a chance that he's being impacted by that. I mean, the team will never admit it, but you know we watch his fitness level where he craps out at 60 minutes every time. Um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why he's gone to crap over the course of this season. I don't think anyone would tell you that he's had a good season. I mean, he might, but he, if you got Lucci, to be honest, I don't think Lucci would say he's had a good season. So it's just a confluence of events. And you can even include, he got a big fat contract. And so he feels really comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, all those things combined. And a guy who's 19, 20 years old, it's so yeah. meant for a bad season. Uh,
1: so uh, considering, you know, looking at that list, of the previous 24 seasons and how, you know, in the years that the team has qualified for the playoffs have come to an end, you know, and thinking back to Lucci's first playoff experience in Seattle, does, are we, do we feel like Dallas actually puts up a fight this weekend uh, and makes it a game? Or is it, do you have any sense of how you think this game's going to play out? Dan, I'll start with you.
0: I mean, I think, when you look around and MLS are putting out their previews and not talking about, uh, you know, and they're talking about, Oh, LA FC, Seattle and Portland are all kind of like kill each other. Um, the athletic did theirs and actually didn't mention FC Dallas at all. Like FC Dallas was not in that article once. I noticed that. Um, you know, the players, the players see that kind of stuff and they do genuinely get pissed and, you know, I'm sure that, that they'll uh, they'll see that it's a foregone conclusion, and uh, you know, and and wanna you know
1: wanna bloody some noses. I was reading an article at MLS where uh, it was an inter- it was uh, somebody reporting on I'm assuming it was Lucci's media call, and uh, they had written out one of Lucci's now infamously lengthy responses. Um, about the fact that everybody's just assuming Portland's going to win this game. And I obviously didn't hear it. I'm just kind of reading it, and it's one of those meandering, wandering. It it, it starts really strong, and it ends very confusingly kind of responses that we get from Lucci. What I wondered as I read this was, did he have any kind of attitude or tone, or like, does he seem annoyed or angry or fired up, or is it just kind of this monotone robot response?
2: Well, no, assuming answer, either
1: one of you heard this.
2: Yeah, no, they, oh, I heard. We both did. Uh, he was a little perturbed at that question. I mean, not the question. When he was giving the answer, he was a little bit perturbed. I mean, it, the, the everyone just assumes that Portland's already won. was a pretty snarky, you know, as far as he goes. Now, then he gets a little meandery at the end, but that's just the way Lucci does. Um, he definitely has a chip on his shoulder in terms of everyone writing the team off. You know, But to be fair, Lucci, you guys have won two games on the road all year, so don't be surprised everyone's writing you off. I
0: mean, I think there's a little bit of context of it as well, because it was kind of like, you know, you could almost hear him smirk while he, while he said it. But this was a call, you know, FC Dallas calls aren't, aren't the most popular media calls. Uh, you know, third degree makes up most of it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know it was a question asked by and just
1: to, just to pull the curtain back th- that means two of you were on the call well nico <laughs> often oh um, nico okay three yeah. sorry
0: um but you know th- this is a question asked by an mls editor and they put a different one on every week who asks the same vague questions which we know Lucci doesn't like he doesn't like it when people don't take a vested interest uh there were the the entire broadcast team for Portland, uh a writer for a newspaper for uh, sorry, a sportscaster in in Bend, Oregon or Eugene, Oregon, one of them. There were more Portland people on and uh non FC Dallas than there were FC Dallas. And that that's an environment as we found out with MLS's back and everything else, he does not like at all and he will be really snarky. Hmm. Which is fine. I totally support that. But it's uh you know, sometimes then he'll, he'll say something that you can read a little bit too much into.
2: Well, I'm, I'm hoping that chip on the shoulder means mentality because, you know, as we talked about the last couple of weeks of the season, with this team on the road, mentality is everything. If they go in with that Nashville mentality, then they got a shot. If they go in with the Minnesota mentality, they're screwed. That's what it comes down to.
1: Uh, Yeah, I agree. I mean, it will be interesting to see if they come out flat or if they come out fired up and if they are able if they come out fired up in the first half, how they come out at the beginning of the second half, because that's that's one of the really weird identity issues this team has had under Lucci is his ability to get this team to consistently show up even within the same game uh, with the right attitude uh, at the start of the second half. So. Um, you know, I'm, uh, that'll definitely be something to keep an eye on. And, and if there was ever a time to catch Portland uh, in, in a trap game, this is it because they don't have their fans and they don't have Blanco. And man, it would be a huge notch in Lucci's belt if he can pull off a win in Portland. Uh, but as you said, Buzz, you can't blame anybody. Uh, for predicting uh, that that the Timbers are going to win this game.
2: No, I mean, the Timbers are built to do this, right? They won the MLS Packers tournament. They always are not the top of the conference. They're always like in the top sort of part of it. And then they turn it on for the playoffs. This is what they do, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's it's no question that they should feel like they're going to automatically win. And it's not going to be a surprise at all if they're looking ahead to the next matchup. So yeah, 100% is a trap game if... Dallas can spring the trap if they can bring the right mentality and come out swinging. And you're you're right about the second half too because that was also one of the problems in Minnesota was the second half was abysmal. So start well, was. I think even looking at Portland,
0: you you just have to look at it. one of the common complaints about FC Dallas is not spending money. And I think what the the record transfer is like two and a half million. Well, Portland bought two players each for a million more than that in the off season. They spent like ten million overall. Uh, to, you know, to, and they came in with the, re- the best attack in uh, the best attacking line that, that the league has, with godo uh, and uh, everyone else. And uh, you know, suddenly they're without a few of those. Uh, if if they do get more back, obviously it's a massive deal for them. But yeah, it's there is absolutely no reason to say that FC Dallas is a favourite. It's just. As as we keep as we're trying to sort of portray, I guess the uh, the problem that as far as like FC Dallas is, is they're just not getting talked about, at all not as an underdog, but just they're already out of it, which you know should hopefully piss them off and and get them all uh, riled up for the game.
1: All right, uh, I will save my request for your predictions to the end of the podcast, and that's a professional broadcaster's trick to get people to listen to the whole damn show. Tease, we'll fast forward. Yeah, so uh, Buzz here, next to smiley faces and some other stars <laughs> that you doodled on the run sheet, it says, F C D O are we really going to award people awards already before we even
2: see how the season ends, huh? Uh, awards are always done on the regular season. Okay. So uh,
1: we first on the list is most valuable person or player, I guess, probably more appropriately. Probably player. (laughs) Who is your MVP of
2: the 2020 Dallas, FC Dallas season? Uh, I'm going with Ryan Hollingshead because of his leadership, uh, emotional leadership of the team. He might might as well be captain. Um, And then also his over the back half of the season he was the only one scoring goals and in a particular game winning goals and a lot of the team's offense is completely predicated on the outside backs attacking so um brian hollingshead is my mvp
1: dan who's your mvp i'm gonna go with
0: good old matty hedges uh we saw that that one game without him just how bad this team can be and, and how much they do rely on him
1: yeah, uh, I think I'm going to lean more towards uh, Dan's Matt Hedges vote because I agree. Uh, I Well, I, I get where you're coming from, Buzz. If there's one, I think the team can do okay without Ryan, but, man, this thing, the wheels start flying off in every direction when Matt is not in the side. So uh, if by the standard definition of MVP, I will also go with Matt Hedges. All right. Uh, and I think this will probably also then be a unanimous, or this will then now be a unanimous one, Defender of the Year. You want me to go first again? No, I'll let Dan go first. How about this time?
0: Uh, F in legend, Matt Hedges.
2: Hmm, okay. Buzz? I got Jimmy Maurer, actually. Jimmy Maurer, you know, stepped into the lurch when, when Jesse had his difficulties, let's call him that um and a lot of people were writing jimmy Maurer off as not a very good keeper i thought he was a pretty good keeper and he did all he did was um lead the league in goals against and save percentage that's a hell of a season in fact he's the only the second keeper in fc dallas history to have a goals against below one so jimmy Maurer is my defensive mvp
1: yeah, I will agree uh, that Jimmy Maurer probably def- uh, deserves Defender of the Year. And it does make me wonder where this team would be if if Jesse was still the starting goalkeeper, if if it would be better or worse about the same. I I don't know where I sit on that at this point. Because to be honest with you, I don't even remember how well Jesse was playing before he got, you know, S-canned from the team.
2: You know, I think I think you have to... Admit that Jesse, on the individual skills of a goalkeeper, has a stronger set of individual skills than Jimmy Mauer. But Jimmy Mauer is more experienced and is a better communicator, and he makes the entire defense better. I, I, without question, I think that's true.
1: Yeah, I, I would say, and we've talked about this before, I, I do have the sense that the back four just kind of runs at a more calm state than it did when Jesse was back there, which is all about communication and yeah. All that stuff. Okay. I mean,
2: uh, Jimmy Maurer was offered on the media call this week, and Jimmy actually said he thinks that goalkeeping is ninety-eight percent mental. I think he said ninety-eight. You know that that's by far the biggest equation of it. And that, you know, he always considered himself to be in the mix and competitive, and works his tail off to be ready. And then if he got to play, great. If he didn't get to play, then support the guy that did. So. Um, you know, good leader. He's a terrific leader, Jimmy in the locker room. He's the, the team's union representative. You know, everyone looks at him almost like he's a coach in a lot of ways. The young kids do. So um, that's it for me. What's his, uh, what's his contract status? He's up. I'm pretty sure. Um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, that's, that's one. Of, now, is there an option? Maybe, but older players very rare, very rarely have options. So I'm pretty sure he's actually out of contract um, as best as I could tell with some Googling and, um, uh, so I think they're gonna have to give him a new deal and, and probably give him a pay raise now that he's the guy.
1: Yeah, I was uh sitting here just looking up. Uh he's on one twenty seven five hundred.
2: Yeah, I mean that's as a starter he'll probably need to be up more like two fifty three hundred.
1: Yeah. Well considering Jesse was getting two thirty one five hundred.
0: Yeah. I um, mean when you think when uh, when Hartman and Sites were oh well, sorry, when Rao and, and Sites were, were competing, Sites was getting two fifty as the backup.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, that pans out. I do wonder, I guess a lot of that will depend on what happens with the Philippe situation and how much they're driven by trying to uh, grow the business of uh, selling Philippe uh, moving forward. Let's see. So next on the list would be Young Player of the Year. Now, this is an interesting one uh buzz who is your fc alice young player of the year
2: well uh this one maybe maybe also get some different answers from people i went with tanner Testman actually because um tanner was the player who's been in the mix as a starter or a key player off the bench for the entire season um he's been a solid component as a six or an eight he's played above himself he's moved in the pecking order ahead of Uh, Brandon Cervania he's gotten to where he's even competing with Brian Acosta and he can quite frequently start and does a really terrific job in that position all at 18 years of age so my young player of the year is Tessman
0: Dan Uh, I'm just gonna go with the basis of young player of the year being like the the you know the
1: MVP with a qualifier of being young and say big bad Brian okay I understand both of those, and I, I, I. the only reason why I'm going to agree with Buzz on Tessman is just because of his, his consistency over the period of the year. We didn't get to see Brian until the end, and also because Brian's probably going to win the award for me on the next one, which is Most Improved and or Breakout Player. And I'll just go ahead and say I will go ahead and give that to uh, Brian Reynolds since it's likely we may only see him <laughs> one more time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before uh, he goes on to bigger and
2: better things. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Brian Reynolds as breakout player of the year as well.
0: I'm a, I'm a differ a little bit, and uh, it's probably not true breakout, but I would like to uh, say on a, on a more national scale, Jimmy Mauer, uh, just going from people saying, "Oh no, no, Jesse, this team's doomed," to, well, he actually got robbed for goalkeeper of the year. Let's be honest, because he had the two important uh, stats that he was the stat leader of. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know doesn't play for a fashionable team so
1: yeah good shot yeah okay um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask and this and this is not on the run sheet and it's not handwritten in crayon this by is Buzz. Dangerous. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this in here Uh-oh. and ask you and I don't even know what to call this um, I don't know if it's your just personal favorite or uh, you just the the you know I just want to give this guy an award um, award. But I'll, I'll explain it this way. Mine, whatever we want to call this, is Tiago Santos, um, who is a new to the team and showed up and f- is filling a role that uh, by a player who I really loved in Carlos Grasso, and I still think this team uh, misses greatly. But I thought Tiago Santos, by and large, uh, surprised me in his qualities and his effort and his uh, kind of drive on the field. Uh, and I think he's been a good signing and, and tends to give me hope that Zenata knows what he's doing. Uh, and uh, I'm interested to see how well he plays next season for this club. So whatever we want to call this award, I'm awarding it to Tiago Santos. Dan?
0: I mean that. That's a good question. I, I thought Thiago Santos was a good shout for at least, you know, to at least be a finalist for uh for newcomer of the year for the league.
1: Hmm. He's a you know, he's, but nobody, he's been a But nobody else on the team that you just really like to watch play or you feel like you have a special place in your heart for that maybe wouldn't have fit in any of these other award categories that you want to give an award to.
2: Oh, that's tough. Uh nope.
1: No? Okay.
2: Buzz, do you got anybody that fits that role? Well, um, if, if if that's the category, then I'm going to go with Matt Hedges. Uh, you know, for all the reasons that you guys cited, as he should be in the mix for Defender of the Year and MVP and that kind of stuff, I think that Matt Hedges' intangibles are through the roof. Um, I think even at the late stage of his career, and it is late stage, that his ability, the the work he put in to raise his passing ability, particularly his long passing building, is remarkable. To like improve and progress at this point in your career is remarkable. Um, his leadership, even though it's a quiet leadership, he's not a vocal guy, but his leadership is immense and invaluable. So that's for me. If I can throw in a player you're most looking forward to next year, that's Ricarte. Hmm.
0: hmm.
1: You didn't say Thomas Roberts, and that's disappointing to all the pod listeners. Well,
2: Thomas Roberts doesn't play for FC Dallas. He plays for North well, Texas SC. So. Well, <laughs> goodness, Buzz, if you tell me Thomas Roberts,
1: if he's still in Dallas, isn't on the senior team by next year, we've got
2: a problem, yeah. don't we, sir? I uh, mean, I don't know. There's there's a log, at the sort of spots he plays, and um, – you know, well,
1: I didn't say he'd be starting, but I gosh, I hope yeah. he's at least on the uh, on the eighteen on a regular basis and coming in and getting some minutes next season. Well, no, I think or, he's going to be
2: on loan. I think he won't be here. I think oh, be really? Yeah. Okay. I All mean, right. I think you know this thing he's doing in Scotland. He just came out of quarantine end of yesterday, so like today probably was his first training. So. Um, you know this opportunity there, or if he's got some other things lined up, I think coming where he's going to try and get on as a loan. The idea is to go somewhere where he's going to play a ton. You know, in Europe or what, or maybe domestically. So, I actually think the odds are very, very high that Thomas Roberts won't be on the FC Dallas roster next year. I mean, he'll be one of their players, but that's not the same thing. Uh, and we
1: haven't, you know, because they they stopped uh, the club stopped sending me, uh, and I and I don't see anybody doing anywhere else. We don't know what the kit assignments for Sunday's game are. are they are they're not going to do. Or will they do red versus green, which is the Ooh, real problem
2: for the, the color colorblind blind. derby? Yeah, the
1: colorblind derby.
2: I mean, Portland will be in green, certainly. So I, I don't know whether they'll let Dallas go in there. Well, they've done them. it before. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, I just don't know how that'll play out. Um, it looks great when they do red, you know, green versus red. But I also appreciate that it creates a problem for a lot of people. I, in terms f-
2: of I feel like they've realized that and maybe tried to go away from that. But it'll just depend on... Um, FC, how much what, FC Dallas wants to try and sell some white kits at the very end? Because remember, there's a new new road kit next year, so um, this oh, will be the old, if they yes. wear, if they don't wear it this game, and you'll never see it again. Well, preseason next year, maybe. Yes, yes, yes.
1: All right, so we will uh, set FC Dallas stuff aside for the time being, uh, and we'll do again predictions before we end this. The other stuff that happened this week are off the field, uh, you know, items to talk about. And, and it kind of falls into our wheelhouse because these are the kind of things that we all love to, you know, discuss and debate and punch each other in the arm over. And I'll start with the, and, and it's also interesting because this all happened in the same week, which is related to now the two other MLS teams in the great state of Texas. First up, the Houston Dynamo rebrand. Is I I don't even know who wants to go with this first. You know, um, Buzz, what do you think about this new look?
2: Well, I don't think that their old logo was particularly good. So, uh, you know, if they want to redo their logo, that's fine. Teams try to do that every once in a while. What I like about it is I actually like this hexagon shape because it's different than pretty much anyone else is doing. So, you know, you can have it on the ball and all that kind of stuff. So I like that part. The rest of it, it's kind of, I mean, you know, it, it it doesn't look particularly soccery to me in that sense. It looks more like a baseball logo or a basketball logo for some reason. I don't know whether it's because it's uh, just those letters overlocking like you might see on a baseball hat, you know. So that's kind mm-hmm. of it. Kind of feels like it was done by somebody that doesn't doesn't get soccer per se. So that's a weird mix of response, I know. But I did like the hexagon part for u- uniqueness.
1: Dan uh convince me that whoever did the two graphics cuz it's both the uh, Dynamo and their women's team the dash at the bottom of the icon each features a little or uh, on on both brands cuz they're different from each other There's a little icon embedded at the bottom. Dan, I need you to convince me that somebody just didn't rip off the same emoji and stick it on there because it looks exactly like the lightning bolt and the four-pointed star emoji on any given smartphone if you haven't seen it. That's
0: because that's exactly what it is. They were like, oh, my God, I've got a bit of dead space. What do I do with it? (laughs) Um, It's like the weird slanted star on on uh, on the North Texas SE logo. It just doesn't belong there.
1: Yeah, it is a little strange. Uh, do you? Uh, you're kind of into the graphic thing, Dan. What do you think of this? Uh, these new designs?
0: Uh, it's uh, dub- terrible. Um, if you took <laughs> Dynamo FC off it, uh, you would think that Home Depot released uh, a range of beer mats. Mm. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> Wait, beer
1: mats is that is that British for coasters like table yeah, coasters? Yeah. Okay. Thank you.
0: Yeah, like the crappy cardboard ones you get. Yep. Um Yeah, it's just uh I found it funny a, a Dynamo fan said, uh what does the you know, when they said, Oh, the, the hexagon represents the six wards of Houston and the dynamo fans' comeback was Are you sure it doesn't represent missing the playout and uh, the playoffs six of the last seven years? <laughs> <laughs> wow. From a dynamo fan of people. Um it's just it's, it's putting lipstick on a pig, polishing a turd, whatever you want to call it, and it really reflects on FC Dallas, because you get some people who are like, change the logo, move the team downtown, that'll fix everything. Well, Houston changed the logo from... I don't, I don't think it was a particularly nice logo, I think the colour scheme was kind of off anyway, but... It was one of the few logos in You mean in MLS, the old one or the current one? The old one. Yeah. It was one of the few logos in American soccer in general. If you see it from far, from far away, you know instantly what it is. And that's important.
2: My only uh, one, The only weird thing I noticed was they took away the, the blue from uh, Houston Dynamo. It left it only for the dash. So to me, you're going to get a double down on all black everything with Houston.
1: Uh, The thing that I find really interesting is that, uh, there's a larger thing going on here with the ownership group, which is they're clearly trying to get away from the nicknames. And I think they're trying to rebrand this thing in the very generic now super common FC, because if you look at both the dash and the dynamo logos, and by the way, the dash logo is, is not great, but it's infinitely better than the dynamo logo, um, the the use of the nickname is written in the tiniest of letters you almost like both logos are hard to read in any distance to begin with but if you get to if you get far back from either one of them you have no idea what the nickname is uh, until you get right up on it uh, but it's pretty clear to me that they're trying to move away and it, it, i wondered at some point were they this far away from just saying we're calling this whole club now houston fc
0: They've made a concerted effort to be more about Houston than than a club. You know, they, they keep doing about the hold it down, H-town, whatever the hell that means. Um, you know, and they they had the the uh, the Astros looking away jersey a couple of years ago. Now, you know, I think they're trying to appeal less to soccer fans and just more to people from Houston in general, um, which is just so ironic between that and and the rebrand as a whole because you know Houston fans stopped going because the the team for one they weren't really spending in effective areas it was like hey let's just grab a name like some name that doesn't actually bring anything to the team and then they they weren't engaged in the Hispanic markets and they weren't They weren't working with the supporters groups, and they weren't providing a good game day experience for general fans, and people just started going away. All things that we could say about FC Dallas. you know and, and it's it's again you know hey look we've just got james harden to, to buy him because he's all about the city well he's off he's asked for a trade he's not signing a new contract and uh, i hadn't even thought about that but <laughs> me oh, too you're i right. yeah. it's, oh my it's God. all about it's, everything is a branding exercise when a branding exercise is, is the one thing they don't need
1: yeah, I mean, I didn't think the Dynamo logo uh, was was great, but it wasn't terrible, and it was easily readable, and you knew what it was. Okay, yeah, it had a cliche soccer ball in it. Whatever. I thought um, the
0: dash was the best logo in NWSL as well.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, I I've never been one to really dislike the jersey designs for Houston. I you know, I they um, I think it's a little silly that they wear black in Houston on occasion. That seems a little weird to me, but uh, that's their choice. Um, and, you know, and again, we've talked about this endlessly. They have the stadium location and setup that everybody in Dallas probably, you know, dreams of because it ostensibly sits in the exact same geographical location as where Deep Ellum does to Dallas. So, you know, could you imagine having a, a, a an FC Dallas stadium in Deep Ellum? Oh, my gosh. You know, everybody die over that. Um, i still not go. And there's a train stop out in front of the place, you know, Um but yeah, but then again, because they don't do all the other things, the game day experience, the roster, the connectivity, the, the community building, they don't do any of that stuff any better or worse than Dallas does. And they have really crummy attendance. So uh, uh, putting lipstick on a pig, as you said, Dan, is, a, is a perfectly said, because I just don't know how this, unless they've got a bunch of other stuff they're going to roll out between now and next season, um, I, I don't know how they think any of this is going to help their situation.
2: Well, it's the opposite of what Sporting Kansas City has done, which is, you know, they're up in the suburbs, and yet they've done a lot of good rollouts in their community and made themselves part of the community, and they do amazing attendance. So, you know, it's execution. It's not location.
0: And that was the thing, like, you know, a big part of SKC was the rebrand, but it was what went with the rebrand that made the impression, not the rebrand itself. They could still be the Kansas City Wizards playing a different shade of blue, and, you know, if. If the sporting group came in and did what they did, that stadium would still be packed.
1: Oh, yeah. Let's all be honest. When we found out and heard the announcement that they had changed the name to Sporting Kansas City, we all looked at each other and rolled our eyes and went, oh, my God, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then we saw all the other things they did, and we all forgot about how stupid the naming uh, direction or naming choice was.
2: Yeah, it's the, in the end, it's how you... Uh, perform around whatever you're doing it's like it's it's not just hey here's a new brand. like the chicago guys are finding out the same thing you can't just throw some new logo out there and not change everything on the field not change your experience not change the way you're promoting not change everything it, you can't just do a tiny little thing and have it be effective it's got to be an entire big procedure
1: Well, that's a perfect segue to the second item that happened this week, which was the rollout of the new Austin FC jerseys, which is a green and black vertical stripes. Uh, I kind of like, I mean, other than one little item that I'll talk about here in a second, I thought overall, and along with all the ancillary marketing and social media they rolled out this week, I thought Austin hit it out of the park.
2: Yeah, that's a perfect example of uh, they've done everything right other than the way they got the team. Let's not get into that again. Uh, they've done everything right in terms of their marketing and their rollout. They have a big, fancy uh, celebrity who's the face of their franchise. They have great marketing. They have, a, I think, a fantastic logo that ties into the local area. They've gotten people to buy in from the supporter side early. They've done all the marketing, all the splash. And then I, I assumed, of course, that they were going to have just a regular old black uniform with some green trim, you know, and the thing that we we were, us soccer people were wanting was somebody to go with green, like the, there's multiple green and black striped teams in the world that all have pretty great uniforms. And I thought there was no way they were going to do something that cool. And so from a macro perspective, which is what I care about with the uniforms from the top of the stands from on TV, can you instantly tell what it is? It's a party of brand. The green and black stripes is a perfect decision somebody that gets soccer is involved with that product and they continue to kill it in every way possible well we'll see what happens on the field but in terms of their rollout and their launch they're killing it in every way possible
1: Dan, you are the uh, super kit nerd, and you're the one that understands all the details about Adidas's templates and so forth. I have been working under the assumption, and that was somewhat backed up by some of the quotes and stuff I read, that this was, like other first-year teams, uh, a a product that got rolled out kind of quickly and working off an existing Adidas template. You're saying no, that in fact what we're seeing now – Is the byproduct of a uh, a full and standard MLS Adidas two-year cycle product development?
0: Yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, most of the uh, expansion teams are late. Have have been too. Uh, Nashville, although they went with a very plain thing, that was their decision to go with a very plain thing because that went with their uh, USL look.
1: They just like to look plain.
2: Yeah, just yeah, plain. basically,
0: they they wanted to identify as with the gold color, and that's that's what they how they did it. Uh, the last one I think that didn't was Cincinnati, uh, and they wore those weird uh, team wear jerseys. Um, a big giveaway with Austin is they have that tailored bottom that all the MLS authentic jerseys have. Uh, they get like the plasticky logos, all the, all that fun stuff. Um, that, that comes with uh, the full design cycle and yeah they. Um, I mean I definitely get you don't want to have just green because there's two teams in the league that are just green um, my problem with green and black stripes and maybe this is a British thing more than anything uh, every single school league pub league, whatever has a team in green and black and they are crap normally <laughs> Um well they good. they just buy that's them good, because they're damn. the cheapest kits you can buy because no big teams play in black and green. You've got Susulo in Italy who play in those really thin stripes. Um which I mean up until a year and a half ago no one had ever heard of that and uh the new there's a new team in Australia that play in it too. Well, um, the key
2: to making it all work, Dan, will be, uh, you know, what kind of combination of shorts and socks they put with it, you know. Yes. Yeah, because they could really screw it up if they don't do a good job with the entire kit and uniform, not just the jersey itself.
1: Yeah, if they if they stick them in black shorts and socks, it's going to look uh, pretty amateur. But if they stick them in white shorts and yeah. white socks, that's going to look. Yeah. Kick-ass.
2: Yeah, the white uh, shorts will sure. be the key because then you could even throw, you know, you could mix up the socks with it depending on who you're playing. Right. Black or green or white. You know, it's the white shorts that'll make the top. Like AC Milan, if you want to go look up a dark dark striped top team with white shorts, it's terrific. So
0: I do have one thing uh, to contend about what Buzz said about knocking it out of the park with everything. And it really, it, I think they're doing what Houston's doing. They're appealing to all the casuals. They're the, like, where they're actually breaking in the market is around the domain, you know, like the little hipster area where the stadium is. Um, other than the, the old, uh, Austin FC guys, Oh, sorry. Austin Aztecs guys. They're not really breaking into like the actual soccer market in Austin. Um, those people are still just kind of sitting there watching European leagues. I mean, I guess like, like Houston what you, and like
1: Dallas. What, what do you mean they're not breaking into, they're not like uh, making an attempt to reach out to the, those communities or. I don't know if it's, if it's
0: so much, I don't know how much of it falls on their efforts or just the people in Austin, you know, everything about Austin, how Austin got that team goes against Austin, right? The laws it's, of nature. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the, um, yes. So there's yes. a lot of people who are like, no, if I'm gonna, I'm even not gonna watch MLS or I'm not gonna watch that, um, which is kind of their problem. So they're going more, you know, they're trying to like turn people into soccer fans and and by proxy Austin FC fans. Which this is what FC Dallas has been trying to do with soccer mums for years. It just doesn't, it doesn't translate to a support that wants to spend a lot of dollar on your product.
1: Well, um, they... New York
0: City found out like two years. Uh, you know, they went from like crazy attendances to fifteen thousand people in the stands
1: yeah I, well you know some of that has to do with the oddity of the game day experience in the bronx in a baseball stadium i think um i think that's a lot of it frankly i think but uh, yeah i mean i uh, by and large everything they've done is a, a big deal i'm dying to know how much they're paying matthew mcconaughey to be the face of the team and the voice of the team. I mean, he um, loves the sport, so he probably isn't you he
0: know,
2: an they owner. Probably
1: on. Yeah. Does he love the sport, or does he love getting paid to be the Doesn't face of these things? Isn't he, he an he owner? Love... Especially a minority. Owner. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe he'll turn out to be a legitimate soccer fan. I. I don't know. I. He I, is. I, I mean, he's a big. Ch- uh, you know, he's always. He's always uh,
0: followed Pulisic, and he's. Appeared in so many random games in England
2: before, so okay. Don't see why not. Right. I, I right. have something about him actually that I wanted to ask you guys. You know that uh, commercial he does that's for the league when the uh, for the 25th anniversary. Do you know I know hate that they play that
0: before every game because it's really annoying hearing it over and over again. <laughs> right.
2: So what I <laughs> want to ask you is, it does it sound to me like whoever made that promo did not know that the North American Soccer League was a thing? Because he says he says for the new North American Soccer, and then it's a cut and i guarantee you that when they shot it he says there's a new for the new north american soccer league in 1996 as they were launching mls right you know what oh, i'm talking 100%. about i guarantee 100%. you that that's what yeah. the copy was his tone, and they had to yeah, cut his, it when afterwards his tone
0: yeah. when he says soccer it's not like he's finishing a sentence yeah, so. oh, yeah.
2: i totally agree with you Hundred <laughs> percent. every time i watch it i'm like <laughs> come on people All right, two more
1: points about the jersey, and this is the one thing I, I, as I woke up on, was it Thursday or when? No, today's Thursday, so it was Tuesday they dropped it. Sounds right. Yeah, woke up and suddenly you know the the jersey showing up everywhere online, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm all right. They did stripes, cool. Okay, I'm a little surprised they decided to go with stripes. Oh, by the way. They were selling them on the Yeti website. How kick-ass is that partnership? I mean, holy cow, that is unbelievably smart. And they had little vans running around the city selling the shirts, and there were lines of people trying to buy these jerseys. I mean, by and large, everything was going great. And then all of a sudden, I saw it. And once I saw it, I couldn't stop seeing it. It was the defect. It's like like when you buy a brand-new car and you fall in love with it, and suddenly you realize the panel gap is not right between the A-pillar and the door frame, and now it's all (laughs) you see when you see it. And it's that little, weird, tiny green wedge up in the corner of the shoulder between the black stripe and the arm, and it's like... Who designed this and why did they design it with this weird little wedge? It's the same bitch that I have about the Dallas Stars logo where they designed it and it's got those weird little star wedges in there that don't make any sense. Why can't you do it? They did it right in the Atlanta jerseys. Why can't you do it right here? And now that's all I see when I see an Austin FC jersey.
0: It's funny. When you mentioned uh, in in uh, in a group, you uh, you know, first thing I thought was, well, that's just something that's on striped jerseys, right? Because... It's a template, and then depend on the size of the jersey, depends on kind of where the, where the things fall. But going back and looking at Atlanta's actual five-stripe jersey, which, hey, they ripped off five stripes, um, they really didn't have it. Every no. single one of them was, like, sized perfect. Maybe it was just, like, because of the colors of the fabric from the side, but,
1: yeah, it was... Uh, well, the funny thing is is that if you go look at the, now the current Atlanta jersey, which is not five stripes, that it has its own weird defect where the black and the red kind of come at each other at weird angles where the seam comes together, and it creates this weird little design mess that I had never noticed before. But if you go around and look at striped jerseys, by and large, most people figure out a way not to get this weird little wedge going on in the corner. It's a really stupid detail. It just drives me nuts, and now I can't help but see it. Um, the other There's thing one is, other defect. Oh. they oh, have a
0: completely plain black back, which is going to look even dumber when they eventually have, uh, the black shorts
2: and socks. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like the black back. That's I don't and like number panels anyway. And I particularly hate the solid black back.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I like the way that, uh, like Atlanta does it. They have the partial stripes at the back at least. And then they, they're obeying the rules or like how FC Dallas used to have the bottom two hoops were still intact. There's definitely ways around it. Just having the plain black really just turns it into a black jersey with two big green bars on it. Well, I kind of wish it – I
1: just wish it had been green instead of black, Uh, frankly. I just think that would have been more identifiable and been uh, more on brand, especially with all of the Verde branding they do. The fact that half their shirt is black just drives me nuts. And and
0: and the fact that Miami came in black jersey. LAFC came in black jersey. It's like it's the new default for expansion teams. The Uh, other thing
2: about the the, when you have two dark colors for your stripes, if you put a white number on that, it's going to be clear as day anyway. Yeah, yeah. that that combo doesn't even need a panel.
0: Yeah, I mean that's why they don't have to have us around on the Yeti logo. It's so clear. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah, that's a really really good point. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing about the 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 reveal is how pissed off are the Austin Bold? Because Buzz, you pointed (laughs) this out. I had forgotten Austin Bold jerseys are black and teal stripes, which is like three shades off of
2: green. Yeah. <laughs> it's a total ripoff. I mean, you could claim it's a rip-off. I mean, I'm sure it's not, but if you're the other team in Austin that was already there, you're like, dude, you ripped us off. You
1: know? <laughs>
2: yeah. Hey, maybe that's the new thing. Some sort of version of green and black stripes is what everybody in Austin's gonna do.
1: Yeah. Um, Poor Bold. They should yeah. move to Fort Worth. You know, I, it got me to thinking, and going back to the Houston rebrand would if if we if we heard if we got word that the hunts were going to r- not necessarily change the name but change the branding kind of in the same way Houston's doing it with f c. Dallas would we be excited about that at this point
2: I would be because I can't stand the logo i'm a, I'm a minority on that one though I don't like the f c Dallas logo oh
1: no, I don't like the logo either
2: yeah I never have yeah. I'm okay with the name, and I, I wish they had stayed red and black, but now they're not. Whatever, red and blue is fine, but I'd be more than happy to give a new logo. I, I don't like that logo.
1: Dan, would you have any level of enthusiasm to see them change it up a little bit, modify it? Not really. Modernize um, it?
0: I, I think when you change a logo too much, you become a laughingstock, for one. Like, you know, Chicago, they could knock out the park, have the best branding in the world, and people are still going to say, you had three logos in three years.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with Dan. I don't think I would I would suggest that they do do it, but if they did do it I wouldn't be upset. I just would, you know, at this point just stick with what you got.
1: Well, you know uh, what? I to mean, be fair, they they did modify the color scheme a couple years ago. I mean, they went from royal blue to the navy blue and that was yeah. an improvement. I uh, that that's a change that they've made in their brand that I fully endorse. I think the navy is way better than the whatever version of blue it was originally. Yeah, but in that.
0: true FC Dallas style, rather than say, "Hey, Royal blue and red is an eyesore. Royal, uh, navy blue and red is kind of nice. They went, well, originally, the t- you know when they rebranded the first time around, yeah, the colors matched the flag of Texas. When they changed the, the shade of blue, it's because we wanted it to match the flag of Texas. So did you just mess up the first time around?
2: <laughs> Maybe Texas changed their flag without any of us knowing. I mean, the shade is the same <laughs> as the blue on the Texas flag. Yeah. Yeah. I don't... Yeah. All right. Whatever. Welcome um, to Dallas
1: Fandom. Yes. Yes. Year 25. Okay. And then the other kind of weird out-of-the-blue news that popped up this week is that somebody's trying to build an 8,000-seat proper soccer-specific stadium somewhere in the Fort Worth area. And now that's got everybody in a tizzy about what kind of team is going to go there and this, that, and the other and... I don't know. Do we care? I mean, one, is it ever really going to happen? And two, do we really care?
2: Well, we care in the sense that if they put a pro team there, it'll be worth... Uh, well, it's you never, know, well, it's not going to
1: be an MLS team.
2: No, but we cover pro soccer outside of MLS. I mean, you But know, is the, USL going to let them put a team there? Sure, why not? USL doesn't give a t- toss about local rights If for a lower-level USL team. If you want to come in with an upper-level USL team, they'll just let you stomp all over who's there. You know, the, the only USL team... Um, in Fort Worth, or in the Western whatever, is sort of uh, Irving, not Irving FC, is the the one in Grand Prairie, Texas, uh, Texas United, United. Thank you, um, and then North Texas, which belongs to FC Dallas, so they don't care about that one. You know, it's not like they, it's not like you have exclusive rights to a market in the USL. So if USL wants to come in, they also talked about an NWSL team. That if you read between the lines of the article, the thing that's interesting to me is that, particularly the one that came out in the morning news today. They need somebody to come in with a pro team and bring in that section of the money. You know, it's it's the city of Fort Worth, it's the Keller School District, because the thing is right at 35 and whatever that first interchange is up there north of uh, 820. So they still need the pro team part to come in. Well, I don't, there's not been anybody with money to make a pro team in Fort Worth ever. You know, they've got right. lots of people that want to have a pro team in Fort Worth, Vaqueros, there's some other guys that we know about. None of them have any money. That's the problem. So where are you going to get a team, somebody to drop in this mythical money to make this thing happen and make a pro team happen? Because that's going to be part of running the thing. You know, even the thing today where it talks about Downey Nelson's group being going to run the facility, they're not going to run some team. They need to find a team. So that's the whole thing is still a gigantic question mark.
0: Well, this is the thing as well. Like, it's just a guy has made a proposal on the basis of I hate that I have to drive my kids to Frisco when they have soccer tournaments. There's no team involved. There's no nothing. There's the idea that Donnie and Elson could get involved. A team isn't going to get involved unless someone with money is involved, and someone with money is not going to get involved unless the team gets involved or the city gets involved or or something. And it's all—it's just a proposal to a school district right now.
1: Yeah, it did. It, it it has a very much a feel of much to do about nothing because, you know, everybody talked about, oh, well, the Vicaros are by the problem with the Vicaros are is they don't have a stadium. that Anybody really wants to go watch a game at. Right. Like the Vicaros Ver- yeah. Vercar- would be great and be super successful if they had a real place to play. Well, no, that's not necessarily the case. And it's not a chicken or the egg thing. It's like you got to put all this stuff together from the onset to make it work.
2: Yeah, the, the, the Vaqueros specifically, they don't they don't want to not be Fort Worth. So like so like the suburbs. If you've talked to any of their leadership people over the last decade, the suburbs are not in play for them. They're the Fort Worth team. That's what they want to be. They don't want to be in Keller, so that's an out. Hitchcock's not wealthy enough to throw down a, a you know twenty million on a stadium or whatever it would cost to make an eight thousand seat stadium. That's too big of a stadium for North Texas. North Texas doesn't need eight thousand seats. They need forty five hundred seats. So that's twice as expensive as they need. You know, maybe you're going to find an NWSL team to come in here, but it's like there's not no one's been able to pull that off here already with and with even with using something like the Cotton Bowl or FC Dallas's facility, let alone trying to build a stadium. So it's like, I don't know who they think is going to come in and pay for this thing.
1: Yeah, Uh, I guess we'll keep an eye on it. I just don't see uh, we'll cover
2: it. But, you know, I'm just not optimistic that it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, it just the the kind of noise that it created this week in terms of people's, uh, you know, anticipation about it or, you know, people's opinions, uh, uh, I just thought were all really all, all weird and all over the place. Um, okay, so uh, as promised, let's finish up our predictions for this weekend's game. The game is on at nine o'clock. Don't forget it's late su- Sunday night. Uh, and uh, Dan pointed out to me that uh, eating Cheez Its will be our. Uh, host of that game, Taylor Twelman, will be calling the game <laughs> on uh, Sunday night, 9 o'clock, in Portland. So, uh, 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 Dan, I'm going to let you go first. Dan, what is your prediction for Portland v. Dallas in the first round of the 2020 playoffs?
0: I'm going to go with uh, Dallas go with a uh, pretty rough first half. Dropped. A, drop a... Down to 2-0 and then uh, bring it back to 2-1 by the end and
2: uh, get an early some uh, an early vacation. I'm going to eat my good luck Cheez-Its and I'm going to say that, um, <laughs> that I'm going to buy tomorrow at the store, so I'll be ready. Uh, and I'm going to say that the Dallas uh, defensive mentality is going to work, mid-block mentality is going to work, and they will actually go to overtime, but then... Our good friend Diego Valeri will rise to the occasion once again and win the game for Portland.
1: Hmm. Okay. I am going to predict a barn burner a barn burner of a game that ends up four four. Dallas wow. scores first, goes down three one, comes back to tie it to make it four four. They go to overtime and then they go to penalty kicks. Dallas is kicking last. They are tied all the way through round five. And as a late last-minute sub, Reto Ziegler was put in to the 11 because he's so good at penalty kicks. And he steps it up, and he blasts it to the moon, turns around, gives double birds to FC Dallas, and runs out of the stadium, and we never see him again.
2: (laughs) That's a great prediction, actually. (laughs) How long did that take you to write
1: it? I didn't. I just came up with that off the top of my head. Pretty impressive, huh? Very. I'm a high-paid broadcasting professional.
2: Sorry, I had to turn my mic off there. Why? Because I was in the middle of a coughing fit because you made me laugh.
1: Oh, you should
2: (laughs) have captured that. That was funny. I know. I thought it was a great prediction, Peter. I'm excited for it. All right.
1: I'm not excited for the nerve-wracking game, but... Uh, wouldn't it be well you know it, it here's one of those things you do have you do wonder i mean if you're just looking at the history of fc dallas these things never go well right they either go haywire in a super bad way or like they did in seattle last year they do something really unexpected and they get everybody's uh, everybody's uh, hopes up and then oh it all goes flat at the very end and i don't know which one it's going to be but after 24 years uh you know i'm just worn to a nub and i kind of expect the worst and you hope for the best and maybe this year will be different and they'll surprise us and go on an mls cup run
2: it feels like it's time for a dallas red card doesn't it peter it's been a couple of years since the play yeah we, card. we it,
0: you're
1: right that's right
2: it a... hasn't
0: had a red card all season so maybe they'll get one
1: okay Ooh. yeah but we haven't had a dallas playoff series where somebody does something really stupid and gets a red card like 20 minutes into the game was arturo alvarez the last one
2: Houston, yeah, might the Houston game. Was that the
1: last playoff red card, or was it the bond uh uh, Bondi red card?
2: Well, there was the one where um is Arturo the same one where um uh Sala punched Hunter Freeman? Probably, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I think that was the last one then (laughs) because the the punch
1: came at the end of the game, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was the the, I think Sala's punch of Freeman was a byproduct of a frustration that (laughs) Arturo had had gotten a red card earlier in the game. Yeah. So. Okay,
0: so, Jesus Ferreira to punch one of the Chara brothers thinking it's the other one and gets <laughs> yeah. them
2: off. That's a good shout. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that would be funny. Well, if you haven't seen the uh aforementioned uh rundown of all the it, the history of Dallas's playoff results, uh I buzz you retweeted it, didn't you?
2: Yeah, oh yeah, I did. Yeah, it's spectacular. But- yeah, yeah, you
1: got to go read. I didn't write it. Just uh, Just so you know, again, I didn't write it. I found it on a big soccer uh, thread uh, last week, and I asked the author if I could repost it, and he told me I could. So, um,
2: Yeah, I mean, considering uh, this club's only missed the playoffs seven times, there's a whole lot of playoff meltdown in that thing.
1: Well, it it, it aligns really interestingly with the uh, same-as-it-ever-was uh, post that I put it, put up at third degree earlier this year that just kind of goes through the – uh, uh facepalm stories from season to season it's just it just it kind of parallels that very nicely
2: yes <laughs> this, what a year of reminders about what a cavalcade of disaster this club is you your thing? thing and then now this playoff thing and, and on top of all the COVID and everything else it's just fc <laughs> dallas fandom is just always crazy well that that's the 25th anniversary
0: That can be a new addition to our preseason
1: predictions is what will the shit show be this season? (laughs) Yeah. What's this (laughs) year's meltdown? What's this year's uh, shitty ending (laughs) prediction? Right. Write that one down, Buzz. Next year when we're doing previews, one of the new entries is what is the shitty ending to this season going to be? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, Dan, thank you very much for your time today. Excellent work as always, sir. And thank you for yours and uh, buzz always we love big hugs all that stuff happy birthday to your teenage bride and uh fc dallas curious fans we will speak to you next week either with a win or a loss for another episode of third degree the podcast
0: first season yeah third degree the third degree net podcast third degree the third degree net podcast Third degree, the third degree, never again. Third degree, the third degree, never again.